0: Hello and welcome to the Feeling Good podcast. I am your host, Fabrice Nye, and joining me here in the Murietta studios is Dr. David Burns. Hi, David.
1: Hi, Fabrice.
0: Dr. David Burns has been a pioneer in the development of cognitive therapy, and he is the creator of the new Team Therapy. He is the author of Feeling Good, which has sold over 5 million copies in the United States and has been translated into over 20 languages. He is an emeritus adjunct clinical professor of psychiatry at the Stanford University School of Medicine. this is uh, episode uh, 35 of the Feeling Good podcast and uh, we are on the last segment of the live session with uh, our patient Mark and uh, the masterful facilitation by David and Jill and uh, so, David, can you briefly describe what this last segment is going to be about?
1: Well, the last segment is going to be going back to testing. It's team CBT yeah. testing, empathy, agenda setting methods. We've been through all of that at the end, and then
0: testing again. Yeah. We come
1: back to the end of session testing, and this is something that very few therapists do. And I believe that all therapists should should do the before and end of session testing. At every session with every patient, because you have an idea how, how you did in the session. Yeah. But my research and clinical experience has shown that the perceptions of therapists can be way off base, and, and usually are. And so we want to find out.
0: It's because you didn't test me. You know, I'm, I'm doing much better than most therapists.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, to to find out, you know, we measured his his depression before the session, his anxiety, his anger, his positive feelings, his relationship satisfaction, and and we want to find out how is he feeling now. What what, if anything, did we accomplish? Was it an effective or ineffective session? Because I've had sessions that I just thought were blow away. They were so fantastic. Yeah, and then found out at the end the patient had become you know suicidally depressed or much worse than, than at the beginning. And so you need to have this data to, to find out. And some, uh, therapists are afraid, well, patients won't be honest when they fill out these scales. But the fact is that they're extremely honest. And, and the big problem we have is sometimes therapists can't, can't take the heat. Uh, they, they, they don't like what they see. We'll also ask Mark to, to, to rate us on therapeutic empathy. You know how warm and compassionate were we, as he experienced it. How helpful was was the session? How satisfied was he? Uh, is he committed to doing homework? How helpful was the session? And was he honest in the way he he filled out these these scales? And, so,
0: and just so our uh, listeners know, uh, the uh, the testing you have a, a sheet with two sides. The front side is the uh, the mood survey. You know. How, how is the patient feeling before and after the session? But then on the back, it's an evaluation of the therapy session. So the patient can say, this worked for me, this didn't work. Uh, I'm right. planning to do my homework right. and, and things like this.
1: And I'll post this with the show notes of so you course, can actually yeah. look at right. it visually. It's, it's very impressive to look at. And I'll also put the, the end of session uh, daily mood log. In, in terms of the where he filled out I'm, my role as a father and all this tremendous number of negative feelings he 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 had.
0: And uh, so, Jill, as a as a wrap up in uh, in the session, you um, went uh, well. You went back to the uh, the daily mood log and see how uh, uh, Mark did on the emotions, and then you you also finished with. Uh, uh, the brief mood survey and do some testing. Can you talk about this a little bit?
2: Sure. On the daily mood log, we um, have three columns next to the emotions. One is the percent now. That's how the patient's feeling when they're really suffering, when they're filling out the daily mood log. We have that goal column that we use during paradoxical agenda setting, which is kind of, and how depressed or anxious would you want to feel um, in an ideal world. And then we have the after column. And so, um, as David mentions in the podcast, the, the, the um, by the end, the positive thoughts have to be 100% believable and they have to put the lie to the negative thoughts. Um, but also for this to be successful, I mean, if we've been targeting... Uh, the positive thoughts that are actually driving the negative emotions, then you should we should surmise the negative emotions would go down too, right? That's yeah. sort of the point of cognitive yes. therapy, that through a change in negative thoughts that we now are going to feel better. And so we always want to make sure we don't just assume, oh, my patient's feeling better. We actually use the daily mood log and we go through each feeling methodically and say now, you know, Mark, how sad are you feeling now? And how anxious are you feeling? And how guilty are you feeling Um, as a way to, again, collect data and make sure that we're we're targeting the kinds of thoughts that are actually going to cause emotional change. Um, And then the other method that we use for testing is the brief mood survey. And so we had Mark fill out in the beginning an indication of his feelings of depression and anxiety and relationship satisfaction. And then we had Mark complete all of those symptoms at the end of the session as well, again, as a way of uh, knowing if we're producing the results that we hope that we are.
0: Yeah, and there's also another. Um of testing on the back of the mood survey Mm -hmm. can you talk about this
2: absolutely so um when i meet with patients this is these are all measures that have been developed by david burns so he has this thing called the the brief mood survey and on the back side we fill out the evaluation of therapy session form yeah so for example i have my i have these in my waiting room and when my patients come in to see me they complete the before session part of the form And then after they leave, they complete the after-session ratings like Mark did, and then they flip the page over and they complete the evaluation of therapy session form, which asks the patients questions about empathy. Did they feel that I was warm? Was I understanding? Did they feel understood? Helpfulness of the session? Usefulness of the session, things like that. Um, They also uh, get to indicate at the bottom what was, what did they not like about the session and what was, what did they like the least about the session? What did they like the most about the session? And when I tell patients about this in my very first session with them, I say this is really like a quality assurance measure. This is a way that I will know after each session how I've done or how we've done together. And um, I hope to be extremely humble and accepting your feedback and, and really interested in how you experience the session. And this is because, uh, although I I'd love to think of myself as sensitive and able to read my patients, the truth is that there are times where I think I've had a fabulous session and in fact, you know, the patient has some negative feedback or, or the opposite. There are times where I'm being hard on myself and thinking we didn't cover enough or I don't know if I was on point and the patient says it was, you know, the best session we ever had. So these testing uh, forms are kind of the only way that I can get accurate information about how my sessions are with patients.
0: Yeah. And, and I also see this as a little bit as a, as a checkpoint in, in, uh, in this session, what I noticed is that, uh, it gave Mark a chance to look back and see, wow, I, I, uh, I really, uh, went over a hurdle and I, got to the other side and he was kind of choked up as he was noticing that
2: yeah you're right it's obviously not just for the therapist for the patient to be able to see the tremendous progress that they make from the beginning to the end of a session and then if you're seeing a a patient over time of course and you're tracking these then you and the patient can both look at hopefully the tremendous progress that you're making or if you're not making the kind of progress that you're hoping you're able to kind of check in and talk about that and figure out why that is
0: well, thank you so much. I think that uh, this is going to be a tremendous resource for our listeners.
2: Thanks, Fabrice.
0: All right. So let's see uh, how the last segment of the session goes.
1: So let let's see how you're feeling right right now. Uh, let's look at the sad and unhappy. That was sixty. What mm-hmm. what is that right now?
3: I think that's basically gone down to almost nothing. Okay. Um, I'm not anxious. Okay, that's another zero. Um, for feeling guilty, is way down. I, I'm i not even sure. Probably a five is the maximum I can put there. Uh, feeling inadequate, mm-hmm. I probably feel even uh, that I have a whole lot more inadequacies. And uh, But I'm not anxious or sad about those. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, not a problem to just accept that. Yeah, okay. Um uh, Let's say even a higher score. Okay. Um, And I don't think I feel lonely anymore at all. For feeling foolish and self conscious, I don't think that's even fair. I I don't, uh, that's not, uh, that's really not an issue. I shouldn't even, uh, I mean, that feeling really is not a realistic feeling. 60 to zero there. Yeah. Um, Discouraged discouraged and pessimistic, you know, I'm not that discouraged anymore. Uh, Maximum, I feel like. 10 from 80
1: to 10 yes
3: and that's something that with time probably will go down as I practice it Uh, defeated uh, actually that
1: also is Almost not went from really. 80 to 10. Yeah, not and much room for it.
3: Um, I think that's a zero.
1: From 30 to zero. Yeah. So you you pretty much met or exceeded all of your, your goals, except for the defectiveness, which you decided it's okay to be defective. <laughs> yes. So that went from 50 to 20, but everything else went like to zero or five or 10 or some very low level. And what would you say were the healing Healing dimensions. Here is question number one, and question number two. Some some listeners will be listening and say, "Well, wow! Here's somebody who's had decades of struggle and unable to turn it around, and who's now turned it around. It looks more or less completely in in just a single therapy session." And so they'll be asking, "What was this real or fake? So so what were the healing dimensions, and was it real or fake?"
3: I was, as, as we were talking uh, before, even you asked me this question, I was uh, thinking that the uh, listeners probably at uh, no time heard me jump or shout or cry or you know uh, laugh very loud. But I was thinking that uh, uh, this session today, that I'm so grateful for this to have happened. Uh, this, I'm gonna go home and feel like. Uh, This, uh, this has been a life-changing session for me.
1: Sorry. That's really a, a beautiful thing uh, f- f- for you to say. I'm so, so grateful and so ad- admiring. And then, uh, once again, this was a life-changing session for you. I know you've struggled so much in in your life against so much opposition and oppression and uh, trauma and horrors what what was the healing thing or the healing pieces here
3: the, uh, um, the realization that um uh, my distorted thoughts uh, were really distorted <laughs> And taking responsibility for the whole world and concentrating it on me yeah. is uh, not only unfair; it's just downright wrong. Yeah. yeah, and this is something that I tell everybody else, and I can't, haven't been able to uh, uh, implement it, practice it on myself.
1: That's why I think the personal healing is so important, not yeah. only for you know all human beings, but particularly. Uh, when we're working for, with with therapists, I think if you haven't had this experience, then when you, although you're not a therapist, I know you reach out therapeutically to lots of people because it's a love. You told me once that you wish you you had gone into psychiatry instead yes. of the, the specialty <laughs> that you were pushed pushed into, which you've done well with. But that unless you've experienced the, you know, the death of your own ego and 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 done your own per, personal work and felt those tears and, and, and felt that that healing. Well, to put it positively, once you've done that, you you have far more power uh, and healing to offer others because you you can say, I've been there myself and I know how awful it is and how real it seems when you're beating up on yourself and I can show you the way out out of the woods as well. And then my my question, I know you're interested in uh, spiritual aspects and... Would you say that this has been a psychological experience for you or a spiritual experience? I was thinking
3: about it this, um, um, as we were talking. Uh, this was a spiritual experience, tremendous spiritual experience.
1: What about it as spiritual? Uh,
3: uh, I think mainly, uh, to me, it was to come down from the high horse of thinking that... Uh, I can uh, change the whole world, and yeah. it's my fault that uh, there's no good relation. And if I had a better brain, I could have had a better relationship with my son. All of those yeah, distorted, right. amazingly distorted yeah. thoughts.
1: And you were just crying, and, and it does, does the concept of sadness is celebration? It <laughs> seems like it. <laughs> do, do you see what I mean? And also, uh, the, right, the tears came when you
2: said this has been life changing. Yes. So they're yeah. su- sweet tears, yeah. happy tears, yeah. tears of relief. Yes, and, is that uh,
3: right? I don't know where the tears came from but uh um, you know I, I I I know that I hope that indeed as I was feeling uh, this um has been a life changing uh, yeah. couple of hours for me. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: well and and then finally the um the two things with the sun that we could go into that the, the sources of power to bring more healing there should he be open and we can't control him but but would be to, to encourage him to express his anger and to share your own tears with him, yes. what you just mm-hmm. shared with us. Yeah. that Those tears, that, that is the healing fluid, so to, so to speak, or the tonic, or is it? Yes, is
2: it? absolutely. Right, it's we feel close and intimate with other people when we can share our feelings with them—not just our positive feelings, but our negative feelings. Right? Yeah. Our feelings of hurt and disappointment, and to anger. me,
1: th- those tears—that is the, that is what spirituality is. from whatever idea I have, it's fairly primitive. But the, the, when you when you were crying, that that is the the spiritual dimension. Yes. Does that make any
3: sense? Th- that's that makes total sense. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's that, that's a heart
1: opening up. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was also thinking we need to make sure that we go back to our testing because we always do that at the end of the session oh, yeah. as well. And so we had Mark um, fill out a brief mood survey in the very beginning of the session, indicating symptoms of depression, anxiety, relationship satisfaction. So we'll have him do the same exact measure again now.
1: a great session today. What, what helped? It was an to, honor. Yeah. While all Mark is filling this yes. out, was just following the, the steps. Absolutely. And if we hadn't had that structure to go through, one could have become pressurizing, panicky, mm-hmm. confused, uh, rambling in this direction and that direction. And I felt that it, it was like a ship that just carried us. Right. You know, we knew where we were going. Yeah, right. Yeah.
2: Right.
1: Well, just sounds uh-huh. fake because
3: everything else whole, whole is looking so good. Um let yeah. see how, how we're doing yeah. over here. Um, yeah. This is pretty much the same. Yeah. It's improved definitely. Um, I definitely feel close to people. I feel like I can be close to people.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for a brandy fact you pretty good, you know.
2: <laughs> We fixed brains too, apparently Yeah,
3: I feel far more calm uh, and feel very much connected and very hopeful and um, encouraged and optimistic and I'm very happy with life.
1: So that's cool So this positive feelings went from a 34 which is kind of mediocre up to a 30, 39 which mm-hmm. is fantastic out of 40 Can we do this one too? Oh yeah, that's right Okay. In fact, we could do this off microphone. You're, we, sure. And and then uh, we can report uh, that later at the end of are session. You, you want to, it's only going to take me another. Okay. I'm sure Favreys sure. sure.
2: will edit it out.
1: Right.
3: Just in one session. So then we'll just read it back. Huge change. Yeah. Just
2: in case you want that.
3: Conflict. Yeah, we're doing fine here. I don't know if this is a specific. Oh, this is regarding my specific. Yeah, because right. he's not even here, so I right. don't know how I can. Rate this for we after can rate session. That later, after later, you a, a, yeah. Interacted with them, so we'll yeah.
1: just skip okay. that That's one. Okay. And then on the back, should we have them do this after the session or right now? Oh, I
2: see what you're saying. Or whatever
1: you think The empathy. Yeah. The, let, let's let's wrap it up and then okay. we can report. Yeah. Uh, put it on the, the show notes or something. Okay. the okay. Empathy, okay. you know, I can see here sure. the empathy. It looks like it's going to be perfect score, and probably mm-hmm. the helpfulness will be per- perfect score okay. and so forth. So, uh, do you have any final comments, Fabrice?
0: No comments
2: here? Huh? I just want to say, Mark, then, um, that I appreciate how open and vulnerable you were with us today and that it was really joyful for me to <laughs> see you move from a place of such you know, guilt and self-criticism and personal responsibility, intense, highly distorted personal responsibility, mm. to... Just feeling a lot more at peace and yes. accepting of the situation, and uh, and as you said, less distorted thoughts, less self criticism, yeah. feelings of happiness and joy. Yeah. Even
1: and I just feel so warmly toward all of you, Fabrice. Although you were patiently, quietly doing your engineering thing, but I, you know, you you suggested this and made this happen. And Mark, you know, I just think the world of of, of you. It was a wonderful personal experience for me to be, to be with you. And, and of course, I always love working with you, Jill. It's like magic to me. And
2: uh, I feel the same way. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay. So that was a great finale. Um, so, uh, Let's uh, have uh, a few reflections on uh, how this entire session went. And I'm assuming by now our listeners have listened to all the episodes that cover the session. I think we had like six episodes out of this one session. Um, What what would you say, you know, how how does this uh, model, this way of doing therapy uh, differ from some other uh, approaches?
1: Well, we'll we'll dive right into that. Let's let's look at the the end of session testing first, because some was on the recording and some he filled out immediately after the recording. Yeah, so that,
0: let's uh, delineate that for for our listeners.
1: But this was a was an instance where uh, our perceptions of the session and the patient's perceptions, Mark's perceptions, were were pretty pretty similar. On his uh, da- daily mood log, where he had all of these negative emotions, like his he was sad and unhappy on a score of sixty. On a zero to a hundred at the yeah. beginning of the session, and his goal was to, to lower it to ten. Yeah. And, and then he actually overshot and it went all the way to zero yeah. right by the end of the session. We, we, we. Did we you try
0: to make him sadder? <laughs> <laughs> right,
1: right. The, often the patients will overshoot their, their goals. The, the goal, uh, column is just kind of a, a temporary thing, uh, to say, how, how would you like to feel? But once patient gets on a roll, they, they typically end up feeling quite, quite a bit better. And so those scores were all just blow away, uh, almost, you know, pretty much met or exceeded all of his goals. And all, all these feelings went to extremely low levels, like his loneliness went, went to zero, his anxiety went, you know, to, to zero, his, sh- his guilt and shame went from 80 to 5. It, it, was, it was really pretty tremendous. And then...
0: Didn't quite make it on the inadequacy... I'm sorry? His, uh, his inadequacy goal was a, was a 5, and it uh, looks like he, he didn't quite make that one.
1: Yeah, that he wanted to go from 50 to 5, and it went from 5 to 20. And we may have to go the the next piece, and how are you actually going to relate to your son yeah. before we move that one yeah. down all the, way, all the way to 0. Uh, and then... Uh, after the session, he felt filled out the brief mood survey, which was like a formal test, highly accurate test of depression, suicidal urges, anxiety, anger. And his his depression score went all, all the way to zero on this test as well. Uh, and if, if you look at controlled outcome studies for depression with antidepressants or uh, psychotherapy, and look at where people are at after 12 to 16 weeks of treatment. You'll you'll generally see their scores on the depression still still elevated. What happened here was much more dramatic in a single session than has ever been reported in a psychotherapy outcome study lasting weeks or, or, or months. You know
0: what I find interesting is, uh, and I don't know if this is typical, but uh, if you look at the mood survey. Meaning before you really delved into the material, the mood survey is not really that bad—a score of two on the depression scale and three on the anxiety scale. It's not extremely high, but when you go to the to the uh, daily mood log, you see that uh, you know his sadness and unhappiness is quite a bit higher than was. Uh, uh, Seemingly yeah. apparent on the uh, mood survey. What? Uh, how do you? Well, that's explain such a, that? a neat
1: uh, thing there because uh, there are some people who you say would be clinically depressed who are walking around with scores on my depression test, which goes from zero to twenty. Scores of fifteen, eighteen, nineteen, all day, every day. In other words, always feeling worthless and like yeah. life isn't worth worth living. Yeah. But then you have like the you know the walking wounded, which is like most of the human race, where maybe things are going pretty well. I mean, Mark has got a, a beautiful family, a fantastic career, wonderful friends and, and, and colleagues. Uh, and so, for the most part, he, he's only feeling just a little bit of, you know, sadness and unhappiness until he focuses in on this one yeah. thorn in the flesh, so to yeah. speak. And then the emotions become quite intensely negative. But his end of session on, on the formal test, the... uh Anxiety went to zero. The anger went went to zero, and uh, his positive feelings, uh, listener may recall or may not, was 34 out of 40, which was pretty good. 40 is the happiest a human being can be, and 34 m- means that you're feeling, you know, a lot of happiness in some categories an extreme, and extreme, and others, and and uh, but. 34, it's like needing a tune-up, not like an engine change. Exactly, yeah. And then at the end, it went up to to 39 out of 40, which is just a tremendous, uh, tremendous level. And then he's not going to redo his satisfaction level with his son until he stopped him. But already, I mean, it was only 2 out of 30 at the beginning, and then 1, 2, 3, 4, went all the way to 26 out of 30, even without talking to his Son yet. Yeah. So he's, he's optimistic on that. And then he rated Jill and Mayen on therapeutic empathy, gave us a perfect score, 20 out of 20, yeah. a perfect score on helpfulness, 20 out of 20. And and again, some listeners will say, oh, well, uh, you know, patients will say whatever to make you feel good. But actually, uh, if, if there are therapists listening who have never used these scales, uh Your patients will not give you perfect scores. Um, Mm -hmm. Initially, uh, therapists get, uh, most report, they get failing uh, scores on these things from every patient at every every session. It's very hard to to get super high scores, but he gave us a perfect score on empathy, uh, 20 out of 20. Perfect score on helpfulness, uh, 20 out of 20. Uh, highest possible score on the satisfaction with the session and, and highest score on, on commitment to homework. Uh, he, he indicated there were no negative feelings he had during the session that we had failed to deal with, and, and he indicated he was completely honest in the way he, he, he filled out the, the, the questionnaires. And yeah. what did you like the least about the session? He put nothing. And then uh, what did you like the best about the session? He put the, the whole the whole session. So uh, and, it's and so pretty, that,
0: uh, pretty, uh, um, you know, strong statement about the, the way he felt.
1: Yeah, and and and, and for, for me, and I think for Jill and, and for him, and hopefully for you too, Fabrice. I think that getting this kind of result in a single therapy session or even if it takes a number of therapy sessions when you see that happening and then when i asked him is this real do you really feel that, that, that way and some people will be skeptical and then the magic happened and the and the, and the tears came and he said this was a life a life changing experience and i think that uh, the real wealth that we have as as clinicians is, is probably not to, to make a ton of money uh, in this uh, career with, with managed care and insurance and all of these the, the, these problems. Uh, if you're looking to make money, I think you'd need to go into computer programming or MBA in business or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the wealth that we have is is the wealth of, of spending a morning with, with someone like Mark and with colleagues, Fabrice and and Jill and participate in, in, in a miracle of, of this, this type. When I was in clinical practice, I I saw this kind of result from time to time. It was generally after, after a number of, of, of sessions. But I I always yearned to see this complete elimination of symptoms and that tremendous level of joy in my patients. Now with the team CBT. And I can't say it's going to happen with all patients, with all therapists all the time, but in my own experience, it happens practically every time. The first time I sit down with somebody, I, I always sit down for two hours, in Mark's case, two and a half hours, because it's my goal to complete a course of psychotherapy in, in one session, or in many fewer sessions than with, with traditional forms of of, of therapy, and I and I think be, because of the paradoxical agenda setting, that's the piece of the team therapy. The, all the pieces are important. The, the warm empathy we had was important. The testing was important. The the methods were very powerful. But I think the paradoxical agenda setting, where we melted his resistance away, brought it to conscious awareness and and, and melted away. That, that's why. Uh, I and, and other therapists are now able to see this incredibly high-speed change in so many patients that 10 years ago I would have said this is this is impossible. Anyone who makes a claim that they can help someone in a single session is a quack or a, or a fraud. I wouldn't have believed it.
0: Yeah, and and I could imagine that maybe some some of our listeners are still maybe on defense about this. I mean, I, yeah. obviously we, we gave a demonstration here. People may say, "Well, no, this is not a typical patient. this is somebody who already knows the model and is already well predisposed to review right. and to gel." so what what would you say to that?
1: Well, those are all good things, and we all we want to maintain our skepticism. We have some uh, outcome studies right now that's being just been put through the Stanford institutional review board the human subjects committee to hopefully they'll give approval to the study to find out what happens in a real world setting with yeah. with with real patients but when i'm um, treating people uh, about half of the time they're familiar with my work and half the time they're not like when i ask for volunteers in workshops uh, my trauma workshop people have had horrific uh, traumas often starting with you know sexual abuse and childhood and Uh, horrific experiences throughout their lives and and generally 10, 20, 30 years of failed therapy and then I sit down with them. It's the same as as with, with Mark and many of these people have never heard of me before or not at all familiar with with these, these techniques. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it it, it has it has to do with, with that. Although if someone knows my work and, and likes me, that could add to the placebo effect or, or in, in some way you know they, they could they could be more trusting and, 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 and more more open. But do, do you sometimes do a general
0: public workshop so that the people who come to to study with you are not
1: clinicians? Not often. I, I've occasionally done general public things like when a hospital was, like in Sacramento, sponsored a, a one-day workshop for mm-hmm. mental health professionals. And they also asked me to do a half-day workshop for the for the general public uh, in, uh, in a, gymno- a high school gymnasium. Actually, they had about 300 people there, and we did a, a workshop on... Uh, uh, Feeling good together, the whole in- interpersonal yeah. interpersonal model. But um, no, I, I would would say that for for me there there's no difference really in working with with a you know a general lay person versus a, 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 a therapist. Well, Mark isn't even a therapist; he's just a he's a physician. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, I haven't seen I haven't seen that, and I don't think that would bear out in a re- research as a variable that has to do with with the speed of recovery i would say i've always done live demonstrations and workshops and i've always been pretty good at it even back in the early 1980s when we well, didn't have any of this team cbt it was just traditional cbt cognitive behavior therapy but in those days i used to get positive results only 50 percent of the time in, in, a, in a live demo in a workshop and 50 percent of the time it would just kind of fizzle out and it wouldn't go anywhere because the patient was like resistant yeah, and uh, and I didn't have all these powerful tools that I have now. Now, I've probably done fifty live demonstrations in the last two or three years. I would, I can't think of. I don't think there was even one of them where I didn't get a dramatic, complete or near complete elimination of symptoms from a person.
0: Would you say that has to do with the tools or with the fact that you know you you've become quite masterful at this now?
1: So, those 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 are all. Possibilities, because I think I've gotten kinder, and more mellow, more relaxed in my, in, in my old age. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I, I really think it has to do with the paradoxical agenda setting and, yeah. and, the, and the melting away of the resistance. Because today, the true therapy has gotten so easy, it almost seems sin, sinful. Because when I do a live demo now, I, I know with almost 100% certainty the person will completely recover in one sitting with me for the first time. And so i 'm very relaxed, and I know that 's going to happen because i 'm going to get them on my side by melting away their resistance, yeah, and once they 're working with me rather than against me, then it just becomes blow away It's just that's so right, yeah. easy for it, them it to is. to crush their negative thoughts it's I wish i 'd known this like thirty five years ago, but i 'm mm-hmm. glad I figured it out you know during during my during my career. Another point that I wanted to say here is that our idea of resistance is, is much different with, with Mark and with, with everyone. who's uh, was depressed and anxious anyway. When I was a resident, uh, I, I was taught to view therapeutic resistance and I was the patient's resistance to change, fighting with a therapist, yeah. clinging, clinging to the symptoms as manifestation of something negative, about the patient and and the symptoms, uh, like the depression, the anxiety, the panic attacks, the shame, the guilt, this was also thought to be something negative about the patient, yeah. so we called the symptoms brain disorders, like uh, social anxiety disorder or major depressive d- d- disorder.
0: yeah, that's the medical model.
1: yeah, yeah, Is that there's something wrong with you, and I'm yeah. the doctor, the expert, and I'm going to correct this with with pills or this or that brand of, of psychotherapy. Now, there are a few true brain disorders, like schizophrenia, which is sad and horrible thing due to some kind of tissue abnormality in, in the brain, probably having to do with synaptic connections during adolescence, the inability to, to trim them properly. But most of what's in the, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, of mental disorders, as the APA calls it, American Psychiatric Association, they're, they're not real disorders. They're just made up things of, of, of symptoms that people have. Yeah. Um, and and so what what we're doing here is we're saying your symptoms and and your resistance to change is actually a reflection of something beautiful about you something something wonderful, not not something awful. See, I was taught that that you know. You're depressed because you want to feel sorry for yourself. That That's why patients cling to their depression. Or, or they're anxious uh, and they cling to anxiety because they're afraid of, of change. Uh, or uh, they're, they're, they're uh, trying to get attention from people with their depression and, and, and complaining. Yeah. And there's some truth in, in all of those formulations, but they all have in common that it's a put-down to, to the patient. It, it puts the patient in a one-down position, that there's something wrong with them, something negative about them. And what we're doing here is turning the whole idea of resistance up, upside down and saying your resistance, your anxiety shows something beautiful about you. Like I, I treated a woman who had horrific uh, sexual abuse for, for decades, uh, yeah. and, and she finally managed to get out of her marriage, and she's kind of safely alone now, but she, but she, 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 she's very... Anxious all, all the time, and 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 she thought, well, I want to get rid of my anxiety, but her anxiety is actually a form of self-love because it it keeps her vigilant to protect herself and, and getting into new relationships with with, with men. It keeps it keeps her alert. It's a completely different way of looking at looking yeah, at, at, we, at at symptoms.
0: We evolved our emotions in order to to make ourselves safe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, or, or or because they reflect something beautiful about it. It's like self-criticism is the key to depression. I'm not good enough, and I'm a loser, and I failed. Well, I saw an interview with Michael Phelps. Is that his name? That swimmer who won twenty-eight oh, yeah, gold yes. medals. Yes, and uh, uh, he he just retired. And, yeah, and he said he was disappointed in himself because he only won 28 gold medals in the Olympics, which is more than any other human <laughs> being by a huge margin. And there was some world record that he wanted to break that he didn't break. He, he, I think he broke like 14 other world records or more. Mm. But he said that he's, he's very, uh, self-critical all the time and he's never satisfied with, with his performance. And that was the key to his, to his, uh, his tremendous success. And so, there are real benefits to, to the things that we call psychiatric symptoms or psychological disorders. And bringing that out makes the person proud of the... Of, see, Mark, Mark was so ashamed of himself and the failure as a father and then to be able to show all the beautiful things that that showed about him. That's where his resistance melted. And he's a very bright guy. And once he's on our team, then we, we just blow the negative thoughts. Yeah,
0: that, that makes all the difference. Out of
1: the water, right. So that's one thing. One other point I want to make is he will relapse. I define a relapse as one minute or more of feeling crappy. And okay. Given that definition. That's going to happen <laughs> every, sometime. Yeah, every day. We don't, <laughs> we don't remain euphoric forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, um, he, we, we'll need to prepare him uh, to, so he'll know what to do when these negative thoughts, I'm a failure, so yeah. father, come back. That'll probably take about 30 minutes. That's, that's, that's pretty easy to, to do, as it turns out, but it is an important step. And then the other thing I wanted to say is um, we've done what I call the internal solution, And there's also the external solution see the internal solution is i'm beating up on myself i'm a failure as a father Uh, you know i'm not good enough and something defective in my brain using all of his energy you know just to make himself miserable and he learned how to stop doing that in a completely satisfactory way a joyous way in in the session a very moving and inspiring way yeah but he still has the external uh, problem with his son. So we may want to do uh, another session with him on how to use what we've talked about in previous podcasts—the five secrets of effective communication—how to communicate with his son more skillfully, so they can form a, a, a better, a yeah. better relationship. So
0: yes, th- this is not really about changing his mood, but changing the quality of the interaction yes
1: but now that he's no longer feeling so miserable and beating up on himself it will be much easier for him to learn some skillful verbal techniques to open his son yeah. up very very quickly in, yeah. all, in all likelihood uh, and and then my final point here uh, you may have some too but it's just to thank the listeners if, if you're a therapist I hope you really enjoyed seeing how this new approach to therapy works. I want to thank my co-therapist Jill. I love to work with her because she is so brilliant and so warm and so fantastic. It's just just fabulous experience. And 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 if you're not a therapist listening, but a general public person or or a patient, I, I hope you took something from this that might be helpful for you personally too. Because whether you're a so-called patient or a therapist, there's, there's a thin line that separates us, if at all. And I don't think I know of a therapist, including myself, who hasn't gone into that darkness where you're thinking, I'm not good enough, just like Mark has been telling himself, I've been a failure as a father. And, and that, that's something that we can all, all identify with. And to me, to have some tools... To, to, sh- to show people how to get out of the woods when you're lost, to get out, out of that ladder, to climb out of that dark hole, and to get back to joy and self-esteem. To me, that's the that's greatest gift a, a human being can have.
0: Uh, and that's why you know, I'm in this profession. I also want to, to uh, add to what you said about Jill. You know, uh, Jill is certainly one of the most skillful uh, people I've met. And uh, she is down in the trenches day in and day out. So she yeah. sees people who come to the Feeling Good Institute and uh, who are not uh, you know, coming to a workshop and who are not right. uh, clinicians. They're people you know, who just have uh, some uh, you know, pain that they want to, uh, to deal with. And so she, she gets to do this on a, on a regular basis. And, and I know that she's helping a lot of people we are going to try to do another live session, and uh, it, you know, if uh, all works well, we have another fantastic clinician, Matthew May, who's uh, one of your uh, earliest pupils, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um
0: So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this. I hope we can make it happen.
1: Oh, I hope so too. Matt is—he's a lot like Jill. He's like kind of genius level IQ, in my opinion. But also extraordinarily humble and kind and compassionate. And, and uh, he's just a fantastic clinician and, and a very beloved, beloved colleague. And then finally, maybe we should just say if there are uh, people listening to the podcast who want more training in Team CBT, uh, there's a lot of resources for you on my website, feelinggood.com, workshop announcements, my psychotherapy ebook, many things. And then also, although I'm not connected with the Feeling Good Institute, I, I for political reasons, keep them totally independent and uh, autonomous. But they're fantastic. And they have all kinds of weekly online training uh, for clinicians. Uh, they also do uh, week- weekend uh, workshops, online workshops, and a variety of uh, resources there as well.
0: Yeah, I just want to point out that, um, I don't know if it's the Feeling Good Institute or if it's you who created this uh, those different levels of training.
1: Angela created that again. Okay. I, I didn't want to be involved directly in those things because I think sometimes people who start a school of therapy or whatever you want to call it become too political and controlling. I know. I, I agree. Yeah. And so, I but I uh, Angela was a student in my Tuesday group. She's a clinical psychologist, Angela Crum. And on one of the Sunday hikes, she said. Hey, I'm leaving my job at San Jose State. I think she was the head of the the, uh, the uh, clinic there yeah. for for the students, yeah. uh, the psychotherapy clinic. And she said, "I'm going to the Feeling Good Institute, and I'll have a little free time while I'm building up my practice." Would you want me to create a certification program? And I said, "Yeah, go go for it." And and so that's been very well well received, and kind of gives people they can go level one. Level two, level three. You could, if you've been listening to these podcasts and and that plus getting my psychotherapy ebook and listening to it would probably, I can't guarantee it, but I I think Angela would would give you level one certification.
0: Yeah, I think so because, you know, I I knew I, you know, after I took a few of your your classes, I could right away qualify. And I think when you get to level four, correct me if I'm wrong, you can start uh, instructing other clinicians. Is that right?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are certain benefits come, that come from each each level, yeah. and gives you certain benchmarks to aim for. Things you should yeah. master at each yeah. at each level.
0: Well, I think that gives uh, the listeners uh, quite a bit of resources. This is, this has turned out to be a pretty long podcast. Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, people will have appreciated uh, seeing the 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 model being uh, applied. Uh, with, uh, you know, a real-life person. And uh, I think that we could see that uh, those last uh, episodes got quite a bit of popularity. Oh, yeah. I think it was it's a little bit like the, the cliffhanger we left them with uh, each time. You know, they wanted to know what's going to happen next. So, yeah. so now they know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, David. And uh, we'll uh, talk again at the next episode.
1: Thanks, Fabrice. This has been another
0: episode of the Feeling Good Podcast. For more information, visit Dr. Burns' website at feelinggood.com where you will find the show notes for this podcast under the blog page and where you can leave your comments and questions. The website has an abundance of resources for therapists as well as non-therapists, including books, workshops, a list of online training groups around the world, and much more. Theme music is Gypsy Jazz in Paris, 1935, composed and performed by Brett Van Donzel. I am your host, Fabrice Nye, and I invite you to join us next time for another episode of the Feeling Good Podcast.